Kathy Robinson spent more than three decades in the corporate world working on Wall Street and at a Fortune 250 company. After attending a wellness retreat, she decided that it was time to make a change. Kathy left at the height of her career to launch Athena Wellness after burning out numerous times. She is now a certified wellness coach and takes a holistic approach to well-being that addresses mind, body and spirit to help you overcome burnout and become more connected with yourself. This episode you will hear what it's like to work on Wall Street in the 80s up until the early 2000s, why Kathy decided to leave her career on Wall Street behind to work in wellness and how by listening to your inner wisdom you will find your own true value, impact and influence. I went to college. I was the first kid in the family. I'm the youngest, but I was the first one to graduate from college and I graduated with a bunch of debt. Um, And so where do you go when you have to pay off debt? You go to Wall Street. And I didn't come from a blue collar background. I didn't come from um, uh, a, a named school that people would recognize. And so I went into something called auditing, which I had no idea what that was. Uh, But in the interview, uh, the way it was described to me was you get to see what other departments of the bank is doing. The name of the company at the time was uh, Irving Trust Company. It's now Bank of New York. It was at one Wall Street. It had this really cool address. And so the selling point, though, was there was a travel component and an international travel component. And I was a kid from Jersey. Like I really hadn't been much off of the Eastern uh, seaboard uh, at that point in time. And uh, sure enough, within a year, I had a passport in hand and I was shipped off to Asia for a month. And this was before internet. Like you got one phone call home a week. <laughs> you know, back then suitcases didn't have wheels on them even. So it was like a completely different deal. But it broadened my horizons to life in ways that I, I couldn't, I'm getting chills now just saying, and now that I look back all these years later. So I came to Wall Street quite by accident. The profession that I found myself in did give me this chance to travel and to learn all about business. I had no idea that I would spend 33 years in that profession, however. Um, and after 18 years on Wall Street, and we'll probably talk about some of the wellness turning points, there was a big turning point where I was just completely burnt out. Uh, and I was at a top tier bank at the time, and I knew I had to go. And a former boss uh, worked for a Fortune 250 that was located in New Jersey. And so not having to commute into the city was a big selling point. And I wound up staying there for 15 years. And half of that time, I was their chief audit executive and chief risk officer. So it was quite a storied career. But I also knew once I hit my 50s that, like, what's the second act? Like, I felt like I had all these wonderful experiences, you know, all these global responsibilities, friends around the world, wonderful teams, wonderful people to work with. And it just felt like there was more. And I really started to get into wellness the last 20 years of my career. So it was a slow build, but it got to the point where I really wanted to explore that more. And um, the funny thing is I told you how I got to Wall Street, but when I left college, I was actually voted most likely to become an entrepreneur. And then I went into corporate for like 30 plus years. And so finally, I like that kind of rang in the back, like somebody else saw that capability in you, like, why don't you give that a shot? And so I've been on this journey for the last four years or so, and it has been a blast. Like, I love it. I love life now. Um, for as wonderful as life was for the last couple of decades, it's it's pretty sweet now. Yeah. And being like a, a well kind of 
experienced corporate person. Talk to me about what the working environment is like in Wall Street, because obviously you're probably one of the few people I've had on this podcast that have even lived in New York, let alone worked on Wall Street. So talk to me about the working environment there. What was it like back in the, was this like the 80s, 90s? Yeah, it was 80s, 90s, and in the early 2000s. I was there for 18 years. Um, it was it was work hard, play hard. So, you know, I mean, I was in my 20s when I started. It was, there wasn't much sleep, you know? So you would go do your work during the day and then there was nightlife because you were young and I was single, you know, and you're going out and, getting a couple hours sleep, getting up and doing it all over again. So um, so that is true. It was like bright lights, big city there for a while. And it was the 80s and 90s. And there was a lot of, I would say, extracurricular activities at that time, you know, <laughs> to keep it all going. And uh, and so the stereotypes that you probably have in your head were there was some truth to that. Um, but that said, when I was in my mid 30s and, um, you know, I realized that this wasn't sustainable. Um, and so this was before I left Wall Street. This was just for my own physical health. Like you can only do that for so long. And that was actually my first wellness turning point. I was commuting home from my from a day at the office and I, I kind of stumbled. I, you know, back then you had you, you were in, well, maybe you, but I was in pumps <laughs> and I had on, a, you know, like a trench coat and a briefcase, like the whole picture. And my the toe of my shoe got kind of caught into my raincoat and I tumbled down and I was I'm a pretty athletic person. And the fact that I couldn't catch myself, like my reflexes weren't quick enough to catch myself. Like I, I wasn't bruised physically, but like, you know, mentally it was just like, what's going on here. And I took a, a hard look and realized like your lifestyle is not doing you uh, any service. Um, I, at that point I was probably 25 pounds heavier than I was when I was in college. I really wasn't, I was just working. I wasn't doing much physically, wasn't eating well, certainly wasn't taking care of myself. Sleep was non-existent. And I decided that I really needed to get into shape. And I followed this program at the time in the nineties, late nineties, it was called body for life. And it was a basic weightlifting, cardio, nutrition, basic nutrition, um, but I, I've followed some version of that for the last 25 years. Like I never wavered off of that combination of strength, cardio and eating well. And it really did serve me well. But once I started to feel better physically, that led to other turning points that went deeper and deeper uh, until it, it turned into a complete, a complete change, a complete shift in life. And then ultimately leaving Wall Street and then leaving the profession and the corporate world altogether. Yeah. And, you know, not to try like dig in your pockets or try to, you know, be like in your business, but working on Wall Street for 18 years, you know, that that salary or that compensation package is getting, you know, quite high. It's it's really, really attractive. And that's kind of part of the trap is that the golden handcuffs of the corporate world where you're like, oh, I'm making so much money. Yeah. Okay. Work-life balance isn't really there, but it's like the life I have when I do get a chance to have a life is so amazing. Like, why would I stop this? But how did you kind of come to that decision that like, right, I can't do this anymore. Wall Street isn't for me. I'm going to go elsewhere. Like, where did you go and, and what made you make that decision? Yeah, well, fortunately, I was able to uh, go to a company where the package was similar. So there were shifts in in the combination of, of, of what the compensation package was. So I really, I didn't take a cut when I left. So obviously that made it easier. And I was working for a boss who I loved working for previously. It was a former boss that had called me and said that he had moved and would I want to come on board. So what was surprising about that, though, was the decision to go. So 
Uh, here I am. I was working for the company was Morgan Stanley. So I'm working for this amazing company and I loved working for Morgan Stanley. Um, it was a few years after 9-11, which was tough. Morgan Stanley was the largest uh, employer uh, in the towers uh, at the time. So it was quite an impactful time. Commuting in, I was living in New Jersey, commuting in and out of the city was uh, feat in itself. Mm-hmm. And I decided that I wanted to, I had a camper van at the time. I wanted to drive as far away from Manhattan as possible. And that landed me in Alaska. I didn't even know, this was before Google Maps. I didn't even know you could drive to Alaska, but you can. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of Canada, but you can get there uh, by van. And um, I took three and a half weeks of vacation um, and knew because you didn't take three and a half weeks when you worked on Wall Street. Like that was a kind of a no-no. You didn't take all the vacation that you earned. Um, So I kind of knew when I got back, I was going to probably have to make a shift of some sort. Um, But I had no idea that I was going to leave altogether. But it was in the middle of the Alaskan wilderness. This was the second wellness turning point where I really had this realization of, okay, now you physically feel better. I was taking care of myself probably for about five years at that point. But you are mentally and emotionally depleted. And you can't bring your whole self your creative self, your emotional self, your spiritual self to work. Like there is this bifurcation of the Wall Street Kathy and this other person who was growing, which is a natural maturing, you know, process, right? And so in the middle of all of this amazing wilderness, I just had this very calm insight of it's really time to go. Like you've got to go. You've got to do something else. And interestingly enough, I came back Right after the July 4th holiday, that phone call from that former boss came that same month. So I didn't even go out and try. It came to me and it came to me in that decision point in the middle of nowhere, uh, which was everywhere uh, in in a strange uh, way. Um, But that's what led me to this new phase where I spent 15 years at that company Um, And it at least gave me enough work-life balance that I was able to figure out, well, what comes after this? Like, this is amazing. And I had a lovely run there, but why are you here? And that came about five years later at a writing retreat, which was my third wellness turning point. And that was much deeper. That was much more about Uh, inner knowing and purpose. And it was much more spiritual where you really get some insight on like, what is life all about? What is it that I want to do with the time that I have left? And the reason why I think a lot of people kind of push those kinds of insights away is that when you have something that's that deep, there's a big gap. It was for me anyway, of where I currently was and what I was seeing of what life could be like. And so that happened probably mid-40s. I didn't leave corporate for another 10 years. So it's not like something that happened immediately. But once you see something like that, you can't unsee it. So there's this sense of, okay, how do I start to move directionally to this life that I could be living like? What would that look like? And sometimes you can't even imagine what that might be. It takes time. Um, But I think what's so fascinating about wellness for me and I, why I wanted to go and, and dedicate the rest of my life to this is that there is this deepening. A lot of times it starts physically, it may move to the emotional or the mental part, but then there's this deepening that comes to purpose and why we're really here. And that to me all, all, all falls under this umbrella of wellness. 
Yeah. And what was going on at this this wellness retreat? What were you doing? You know, you had the Alaskan one, then you had the the writing thing, but what drew you there and what were you doing that kind of gave you these shifts in your your you know view of the world or your view of the view of your life? Yeah, the writing thing was I had throughout all of my commuting time in uh going back and forth from Manhattan to New Jersey, I always had a writing book with me. And so I would jot down, you know, just insights for I, I never I never took a class. I read a lot of books. And so when I finally got into my mid 40s, it was almost like I had dreams of being a writer, but that's as far as it went. And I wanted to meet other people. I wanted some I wanted to see if I really had the ability to live the lifestyle I was envisioning. But what I didn't anticipate is that when I stepped to this retreat, it became less about the writing and more about the person, the person that you're that you need to be to be able to be expressive, to be able to write in that way. It's not about putting pen to paper, although of course that's part of it. It's what are you putting on paper? What part of you are you putting on paper? And that is when you're in the corporate world for a long time, that's just something you lock away. Like you go in and you do your job and you're productive and you're effective and you do all these wonderful things. But it's not, I mean, I think it's changed over the years. I'm sure it's much more people friendly. <laughs> these these times, like there's a lot about authenticity, but that wasn't the game, you know, in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. And that wasn't how I grew up in the corporate world. So this was a lot of the getting in touch with who I really was at my essence and saying, like, do you have the courage to put this on paper. So what was funny about that turning point was the first one was there's a physical change, right? Like you can see a difference in somebody's body. The second one was a lifestyle change. You can see, okay, she's no longer working here. She's working there. This last one was the most impactful because it was, it was inner insight. But yet when I got back into life, nobody sees that change. Like this is stuff that's happening underneath the surface. So it was almost the most disorienting because you've got to go back to work and you've got to go back and be the boss and you've got to go back and, you know, do the report or whatever it is that you need to do. Yet everything inside has shifted. And it really took a while to kind of walk that line to kind of find new footing. How do I continue on this journey to become this person I'm seeing while still doing what I need to do to be effective in my day-to-day -day life, in my relationships, in my business, with my family? Like, how do I show up as that person while all of this stuff is just reorient, reorienting itself in, in my body and in my bones and in my soul? Yeah. I was speaking to someone today, actually, we were speaking about the idea of settling. Like there is a point in most people's lives where they go, oh, this is enough. I've got, you know, that going on, this going on. I've got the house, I've got the kids. I'll just stay in this job. I'll, I'll keep my head down and, you know, I'll forget about that part of me that really wants to go and do, you know, I don't know, say you want to become a, a, a juggler or something, something like that. Yeah. And for you to kind of go, you said it was in your late forties, early fifties, go like, right, I'm starting all over again. I'm taking the lessons I've learned in the corporate world and I'm taking them to other people that are further well, not further behind, but people that are earlier on in their journey or probably, you know, still going on that journey to teach them how to feel better while working. So that was, I'm assuming the third turning point was the point where you go, right, I'm getting out of the corporate world. And what I'm going to do is spread all the knowledge and messages that I've picked up over the 33 years of self-discovery and self-improvement. 
Uh, it wasn't as linear as that. <laughs> so the answer is yes. Um, but, you know, we don't have that kind of foresight. And I think that, you know, that's probably how I help people the most of making it normalizing the fact that the path isn't revealed to you. So you see the whole thing. The next step is, and you're right. The reason why I think a lot of people stay in that sense of like, well, things are pretty good. Like I can just stay where I am. I think a lot of folks think that when it's time, they'll see this whole path that's laid out before them and it's crystal clear. And that is not, that has not been my experience. It's not the experience of the folks that I work with. And so I think even voicing that becomes helpful to folks of like, if you're feeling those stirrings, if you're feeling that calling, I call it now, I call it going from type A, which I was and still am, to type B, B-E, like that sense of being, that sense of presence. You're coming from a different place in life. And that takes a long time to, at least it's been my experience, that takes a long time to unfold. So how do I help people start to see what is it that life can be if they don't have the chance to go on the writing retreat as I did? How can I help them see that while they're still maybe five or 10 years out from trying something new? How do they start to prepare themselves? We have, at least states-wise, I know it's ingrained in us of prepare for retirement, prepare for retirement. And all that means is financial planning. And I'm here to tell you that's what, it's an important part, but it's a small part. Life planning, we are not, I was not equipped for that life change. It was something that I had to kind of stumble through. And so what I'm trying to do is to help make that path clearer for people so they're able to navigate and, and to realize that they have a whole bunch of choices and they can navigate through that in a way and in their own time frame. Hopefully, sometimes people get a little put, you know, you can get pushed out the door, but if you have that time to work through it, I think that's the best way to prepare yourself because there's an identity shift. And I think that's what a lot of people aren't used to. And when you lose an identity, like I used to be this corporate person, there's a grieving process that comes with that. You're not that person anymore. And for folks that do that at midlife, although I know it's coming earlier and earlier for a lot of, of folks that are in, sometimes people are in the business world for 10 or 15 years and they go, nope, not for me, I'm out. And they want to try something different. So this isn't only for old people, but for folks that are in their 50s and speaking as somebody who is in their 50s, there's also a grieving process of youth. You know, there's youth that you're leaving behind or for some people, it's family and kids, empty nesters. So there's a lot that's rolled into this. And my work is helping people kind of unpack that, get to what the real issues are, and to give them a framework and some practices to be able to work through uh, and get to what is it that they really desire? It's a hard question to uh, to to address. Yeah, I, I guess for figuring out your desires, like you said, it's a a step by step process. But for you, it was right. I'm going to get my fitness in check. I'm going to eat right. That's going to help me. How do you advise for people to kind of get that first step going for them, that first turning point, or at least that first kind of step towards the turning point? Yeah. And I think it's where they are in life, right? So if somebody is younger, and I know a lot of your listeners are, sometimes you just have to put the building blocks in place. And when I look back, like I wouldn't change anything in my journey. When I was in my 20s and 30s and having a great time and maybe not taking great care of my physical health. 
I was at least making steps for my financial health. Like I was doing things, I was paying off my debt, I was putting money away for retirement. The things that you're told to do, that's the time to do that and to have a good time. Like, you know, that's what life is for, right? I think when there's that, when you have those quiet moments, which each one of these turning points, there was that still point, there was that quiet moment where something said, you know, you better look into this. It doesn't happen immediately. It's like, pay attention to this. So I would say, what are those things that are trying to get your attention and working with that? It may be something physical. It may be something more mental or emotional. It may be something more spiritual, anything under that mind, body, spirit spectrum. If there's something that's kind of tugging at you, I would suggest taking a look at that. And, you know, you, you have to do something that resonates for you. For people who aren't meditators, sitting on a cushion is, you know, and trying to clear your mind is like torture. Don't do that if that doesn't work for you. Take a walk. If you live in Manhattan, you can walk in Central Park. You can walk down Fifth Avenue. It doesn't matter. But how do you carve out that time to create some space so you can actually listen to what these little taps on the shoulder, you know, are telling you to do. For me, it took that, it took a trip, you know, that <laughs> first time to say, hey, you got to get in better shape. And it took a trip to Alaska the second time. As, as you get better at listening, you don't have to go through such grand gestures. Like a lot of what I do right now, especially in the pandemic, has been right here where I'm sitting. And it's just carving out that little bit of time. It could be five minutes. When I was working in corporate, I take five minutes in the morning, set my set my alarm to go off. I set it for five minutes and I would just hand on heart back in bed, close my eyes and just breathe for five minutes and just be there. Sometimes things came up, sometimes they didn't. So it doesn't have to be this grand thing that you have to do. But that listening, that creating that space is really that first step. Yeah. And is that kind of part of the the kind of, systems and processes that you do with Athena wellness is, you know, teaching people how to kind of listen to themselves and be aware of those signs and signals that will kind of direct them into the direction they want to go. Exactly. So Athena was known, she was a Greek goddess known for her strength and wisdom. And so those are the two qualities that I try to help clients access in themselves. I can't tell anybody what to do, but what I can do, and I think this is what 30 plus years of auditing showed me, I can create systems and frameworks to help people step through and bring their own strengths and their own uh, tendencies to it. So to your point, yes, there. I'm a big proponent of practices. How somebody gets there is less important that they do something consistently. So we do things from reflection to visualization to journaling. I love this practice of holding a question. Like sometimes there are these questions that they're not yes or no. They're almost like they're questions you need to feel the answer and not logically answer, um, and also taking positive action. So small steps forward kind of can shift a lot of energy if people are stuck. So practices are a big part of it. Then I kind of walk them through this framework. The very first thing is creating space, and it can be with just a few minutes a day. But again, it's that consistency. So creating spaces first, I take people through giving themselves permission. How do you give yourself permission to be something that 
maybe others want you to be, or you have been expected to be. Like I was expected to be this successful Wall Street person. I look successful to everybody from the outside and I was dying on the inside. So how do you give yourself permission to make that shift? Um, questioning assumptions, the things that you've always done, do they still make sense for wherever stage you are, whatever stage you are in life? Does that still make sense for you? So giving yourself some time to question that. Looking at new activities and seeing not just to do things to for the sake of doing them, but how do they make you feel? Because this whole journey that I'm outlining really is a process of taking you from your head, from thinking logically to your heart. What is your desire? How do you want to feel in life? That's really what the journey is. These are just ways of getting people there. And then, of course, we initiate action and then we come up with ways to keep this. Once they find their the place that they want to go and they're on that road, how do we sustain? How do we find ways to sustain these practices for the long term so there is no going back? How do we help craft that? So this is really crafting a life plan. Yeah. And those systems and processes sound amazing. They sound like the kind of thing that you would need if you were to structure your life. But one thing I feel like a lot of people aren't able to do or don't do is visualization. And for example, for me, the first time I remember really doing visualization was I had my driving test. And in my head, I'm like, right, my instructors, my instructor said I'm ready for my driving test. That must mean she thinks I'm going to pass. So that morning I wrote on a piece of paper, I'm going to pass my driving test. And I stuck it on the mirror. I left, did my driving test, came back. And I forgot about that piece of paper because I didn't go back into my room. I kind of, you know, was in the house, sorted out insurance for my car and all this kind of stuff. I drove, went to the gym, all this kind of exciting stuff. But I came back in the night and I was like, damn, like I, I, I definitely saw myself passing my driving test. There was, that was the only conviction in my mind. Right. And so I feel like this is a skill that a lot of people need to learn is how to visualize. So I'm wondering how do you teach people how to visualize? How do you teach people to see what's going on in their head or something that might not even exist yet, forming that image? It's a great question. And there's no one right way. So a lot of times the, the pushback that I get is I can't visualize. I can't. I, I, my mind starts to wander. There's all different kinds of ways to visualize. So one of my favorite is I have um, an electronic uh, picture frame. And I will upload images and I'll do things from things where I felt the best, things where I'm with my nieces and nephews and great nieces and great nephews and family things, um, big accomplishments that I have crossing the finish line at an ultra marathon, um, whatever the, these things that make me just like when I look at these pictures, they make me happy, as well as pictures of you know, there may be beach scenes or they may be there. There may be things that I pull that I don't know why, but I'm pulled toward them and I put them there as well. And quotes, things that keep me uplifted and in a positive frame of mind. And right now, I think there may be about 800 images and it just goes. It's in a particular place in my house. I see it every day. And, and that is a form of visualizing because as I'm catching glimpses of this throughout the day, these pictures are being reinforced in my mind. So it doesn't have to be sitting in one place and just looking at this. Some people like, they like more of like a vision board kind of thing where they're cutting out images and, and, and they don't know why. And they're putting them on these boards and maybe taking a picture of them with their phone and being able to see them. So whatever it is, if you're more visual, that's fine. Some people like to read. I knew somebody, or I heard a story of somebody 
who read the same book like for years, like would a page a day kind of thing. And when it was done, go back to because it was this positive reinforcement. So whatever works for you, the thing is to be consistent with it and to do it in a way that helps expand your field of vision, whether you're sitting there and you can imagine that some people are awesome at that, or you're seeing things that reinforce the feelings that you want, or you have something that is inspiring for you. It could be music or it could be a book. And you're doing that with the intention of this is expanding where I want to go. It's getting me further than where I am. It's, it's helping me along my path. Yeah. And do things like visualization and journaling go hand in hand? So whatever I see in my mind, I should go, right, okay, I'm going to write this down on my journal in the morning or in the evening or whenever I decide to journal. Like, How, how do they work together? You know, it's funny that has shifted for me over the years. So when I was in a very strict um, uh, schedule, when I worked for corporate and I had to be at work at a certain time, I had to be at the gym at a certain time, I was very regimented. And so I had a more, I needed my morning routine. My coffee pot actually used to go off, believe it or not, at 3.45 in the morning. So I had that time carved out just for me before the day started. So, um, and I would, it's like, okay, five minutes of meditation, you know, 10 minutes of journaling, whatever my thing was at the time. Now that I have, it's interesting, I have more time, but I also, I carve out time and I give myself the grace of what is it that I need in the morning? So I've been doing it long enough that I will show up for myself, but what do I need? So I have my journal. I have a, a book that I find really inspiring. And especially when it's so nice out now in New Jersey, I can go out, I can go outdoors and just sit outside in the morning. And so what I usually will do is I'll get after I work out, I'll get a cup of coffee, I'll go out, I'll have both of those things with me. And I just kind of sit there, you know, hand over heart. What do I need today? And some mornings it's just, you know what? I want to feel all of my senses outside. What am I hearing? What am I seeing? What am I smelling? That sense of presence. As long as I'm present and there's no electronics around me, that's my point and that's my practice. So I would suggest for your listeners to get to know yourself a little bit. It's okay to start with something that's a little regimented to get yourself in the habit. But then once you are in the habit, give yourself a time period and some things that you like to do and give yourself that grace to see what is it that you need in that moment. Yeah. And you said, you know, you carve out this time for yourself to do these things and those things. But earlier on, you just mentioned about, you said you ran an ultra marathon, which for people that don't know that, what that is, it's like, it's more, I think it's over 30 miles or 40. It's basically a very, very long run. It's, it's, <laughs> it's more than a marathon. It's something that very few people can and should do, but you ran an ultra marathon or you are an ultra runner. So in that time, you're, you know, you're carving out hours and hours for yourself to focus and build yourself and, you know, just be present. But talk me through the process of running a, a marathon in general, because I'm assuming you built your way up. You didn't just one day get up and go and do an ultra marathon. Why did you kind of keep going and going and going? And what's the furthest you ran as well? Yeah. You know, so it's funny. So when I, I told you, you know, when I was in my thirties, I couldn't run more than a lap at a time. So, you know, you're talking about a couple of minutes at a time and then I'd have to walk. I kept at it in my 40s. I think the farthest I ever ran was maybe 17 miles or so. That happened once. You know, I, I tried a couple of half marathons on my own kind of thing. 
Um, but then, you know, you get older, your knees get a little creaky and, and what have you. I really started to um, take a look at plant-based nutrition, which I did for most of my 40s and, in, and into my 50s and still do today, and really getting my inflammation down. And then I tried running again. And I found I felt pretty good. You know, I do CrossFit now, um, but back then it was running. What running did, and you hit it, it was those hours and hours alone. It was the only place where there was no phone. I had elder care going on at the time. I had this corporate career going on at the time. When I was out on the trails, because I, I, I ran a lot on, on, on uh, trails here up in, in northern New Jersey, no one could get to me. So those hours and hours that sound painful to most, it was such a mental break. Um, that my training actually became quite a refuge. So this the ultra distance started because I was doing something for charity. We did a 275-mile uh, bike ride from Boston to New York City to raise money for charity for the company that I worked for. I did it once. I'm not a big cyclist. So I decided, you know what? I'd love to take that training time and see. I had never run a marathon, and I had certainly never done an ultra, but I really wanted to try doing this ultra. And you're right, ultra is anything over over a marathon. I did a 50K. Uh, that's what I had signed up for. But having never run a marathon, I was like, I want to do a marathon before I do that. And I just went out on the trails about seven weeks before and just ran for 26.2 miles and knew I could do that. And then at that point, I'm like, okay, I'll be able to do the 31 miles um, it, seven weeks later. It was really cold here in New Jersey. I'm not a cold weather person. It was like 28 degrees Fahrenheit, which is really cold. <laughs> uh, it started to snow at some point, but it was uh, it was quite an experience. And um, it was so transformational, that fact that, you know, there's there's a there's a an author named David Goggins who oh, um, we love Goggins over here. You love Goggins it and you know, 40%, me. right. Yeah. And so as I'm in those last laps and I'm just like, you know, you're only at 40%. And so I crossed that finish line feeling amazing uh, and went out to dinner and had a nice martini that night and a pizza. <laughs> but the, the what you take away from that is like, I was 54 years old. Like, what else can you do? And I think that really helped when I left the corporate world when I turned 55 of like, if you could do that, like how hard can business be? Like, you could do that, you know, you you could do this. So um, so those kinds of goals, you know, if somebody is feeling stuck in your audience and all of this stuff sounds great, but there's so much going on, if you can find something like that that inspires you to get you out of your comfort zone, you know, maybe you're not to the point where you can do the visualization, but you are to the point where hey, you know what? It sounds pretty good. Maybe I'll try a half marathon or maybe I'll try a 10K. Give yourself that kind of goal. And these things feed on itself. It doesn't matter where you start, but it's just moving that energy that I think goes a long way. Yeah. Those physical feats of endurance, they really do kind of play into your mindset because realistically your body has its limits, but its limits sometimes are based off what you think. And I love the fact you mentioned David Goggins and that, you know, I'm only at 40% thing because he's an absolute madman. David Goggins is, but the fact that you were able to see what he'd said or hear what he said and kind of apply it to yourself and it worked yeah. is something that people won't really get the benefit of unless they try it for themselves of like, I'm not done yet. I can still keep going. And it's, it's kind of making that voice in your head smaller because a lot of people let that, that negative voice speak to them a bit too much. But if you're able to get yourself out of that mindset and live in that kind of, I don't know if it's an abundance mindset, but definitely that mindset of, I can keep going 
there's only benefits there. Yeah. I think what it does is it allows you to see your physical and your emotional and your mental state rise and fall and know that it's cyclical, right? So getting up in the morning and saying, oh, it is so cold out and the wind is blowing and you start going, there's at some point your body warms up, your muscles warm up, you feel better, you know, and then you get to a point where it starts snowing. Oh, there's this mental thing that's happening. But a couple of a couple of, you know, an hour later, it's like suddenly you're out of that. And I think once you see that rise and fall, you know, when you're in the lowest part, it's going to come up again. And when you're in the highest part, it's like, enjoy it because, you know, something else is going to follow and you're just able to roll with it a little bit more. And I think those are the life lessons, right? You can take that into your business life. You can take that into your relationship life of like, it gives you this sense of resilience and not from putting yourself through this, all of the training. It's from having that experience of, I'm going to come out of this just fine. And it doesn't matter what do I, I apply this to. Like, I have that ability. I can figure this out. I can, I know that if I'm not feeling great, it's going to shift. And I know if I'm feeling amazing, there's going to come a time where I can think about this time when I'm feeling so good because I'll be able to use that at a time when I need it. Yeah. And you seem like a person who's really kind of an avid learner. Like you love to learn things. You've mentioned that you've, you know, either heard or read David Goggins work, and then you were learning about vegetarianism and, and, you know, plant-based diets and all this kind of stuff. And I'm wondering, how do you find things to like learn? Like, where do you find all the materials and stuff? Because a lot of people struggle to just find information to kind yeah. of get those steps going of, of finding out what they're interested in. Well, it's sure a lot easier now. I mean, mm. we have we have all information at our fingertips. And I think, you know, when I was growing up, it was hard to find information like that was the barrier. Now, I think people are so they're, they're inundated with information that it's hard to filter to see what is actually useful. So I tend to and, and it's just my my the way I'm wired. There's very little from like um, social media or like any kind of pop culture stuff that inf like I'll be aware, but I don't dive in. So it's just more of what's going on politically, socially, economically. Like I need to be aware so I can figure out where I want to put my attention. But then where I want to put my attention are those things that kind of grab my curiosity, whatever that might be. I've always been that way. You know what? Working all those years and doing all the travel that I did, I was on airplanes a lot. And so that was, it used to be books <laughs> and CDs back in the day. And then everything was like on a iPad, you know, you can have your whole music collection and any book that you wanted to take all on this little thing. So um, one of the, I mentioned before that I give my clients and students for the courses, practices for sustainability. And one of them one of them is morning and evening routines. And we talk a lot about that. We've done that. The second is ongoing learning. How do you create your curriculum to be able to support you? And, uh, and there are ways of being able to build that. But for anybody who's listening, I would just say you follow, it's that thread of curiosity. What that does is it gives you clarity. And just a, a quick story, when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do after corporate, I was following this thread. So when I turned 50, I'm like, you know what? Let me just have some fun. Let me go and try a bunch of different things. So I took this plant-based nutrition class. I did the ultra marathoning. I was doing all of these different things and learning about it. 
And what it, what I figured out is one, as much as I love wellness and nutrition, I didn't want to be a personal trainer because that meant I had to report someplace every day. So I was like, okay, I can cross that off. As much as I love being in my kitchen and, and preparing healthy food, I didn't want to be a chef. I had to go to a, one place every day and report to somebody, didn't want to do that. So even though I was learning all of these things that was feeding my soul and keeping my optimism up and keeping me positive, it was also helping me realize what I didn't want to do. And then ultimately that led to a, uh, a Google search on wellness coaching and sent me on a whole thing of entrepreneurship and starting my own business and being a course creator and writing a book and doing things that I had no idea when I was out on those trails or when I was, you know, preparing a healthy meal for myself. But I think it's the, the benefit is that you get to learn what you love because you want more of it. And you get to learn for things, maybe things you like, but maybe you don't want to spend your time there. And that's okay too. Yeah. And you said the, that you have, hmm, you have this kind of ongoing relationship with learning. What is it that you're learning at the moment? You know, cause you've, I'm not, I'm not saying you've mastered anything yet because I feel like anybody who's an avid learner knows that you never master anything, but what is it that's keeping you cu curious at the moment? What are you learning about? Well, I just had a really great little sparkle this weekend. Um, I'm actually going to go back to Alaska 20 years later. Uh, I turned 60 in 2024. And the first time that I went, I was 40. And I had three and a half weeks, as I told you. So I did 10,000 miles in, ten in, in three and a half weeks. I'm giving myself four months in 2024. And I'm going to be, so that, that, that's a whole bunch of learning right there. I have to learn how to be literally be nomadic, um, to be able to work from the road, to be able to podcast from the road and coach from the road and teach from the road. Um, and so suddenly now this, I, I have like this new spark that didn't exist last week because I have a plan that's maybe 20 months in the making, but there's a lot that has to be done between now and then. And, uh, you know, what music am I going to bring? Like all of these different things. Um, the last time that I went, I wrote a memoir that never to be published. Um, but that's why I went to the writing retreat to learn how to write this memoir. Um, but I think the real book is what happened between those two trips? Like what happened in those 20 years? What lessons learned? What, who was that person that went in 2004? And who is the person that went in 2024? What is that story? And so suddenly I have like, there's writing to learn about. There's new navigation to learn about. There's a new van that I have to figure out how to work. You know, there's all kinds of things that, uh, so, so it's stuff like that. It's like, once you start to follow that little breadcrumb, suddenly whole worlds open up, you know, if you just start, start small and kind of go from there. Yeah. And you said you, you've written a book before. Is this book published? Like, I, I didn't know you'd written a book. Yeah. I, well, I actually wrote a book. Uh, it came out in 2000, uh, 2020. Uh, yeah. It's called The Athena Principle, Simple Wellness Practices for Overworked Professionals. The book that I told you about before about Alaska, that has that is unpublished and will remain unpublished. It was more memoir-based. The Athena Principles was my first uh, sharing of my wellness philosophy and some of the practices that has evolved now to this more type A to type B kind of uh, process that I take people through. Uh, but that's available. That's out there on Amazon and out on my website as well. 
Oh, lovely. So the Athena principles are also kind of similar to what you do in Athena wellness. Is that type of thing? It was my, it was more wellness focused. Um, the principles themselves were what you might imagine, uh, given our conversation, um, starting with um, setting, um, setting intention, um, self-compassion, which was something I came to late in life and learning how to give yourself um, some grace, being consistent with whatever it is that your wellness goal might be, having a growth mindset, which I define as positive mindset plus constructive behaviors. And so we talk a lot about behaviors. And then lastly, accountability. And part of accountability isn't even isn't just checking in with yourself, but it's noting where and celebrating your wins and then being able to compassionately um, make adjustments for things to be able to continue down the road that you're that you're going on. So I would say it's almost like wellness 101 where some of the other things that we're doing is once you once you have your wellness in place, how do you go deeper into the person that you want to become and the purpose in life? Mm. And a lot of people nowadays want to be authors, but they don't actually read or really know how to write. But luckily, you seem like the kind of person that does a bit of both. Seems like you read a lot. It seems like you write a lot. So I'm curious, what are your favorite books that you've read? What are the books that have kind of helped you along your journey? Because like, that's just always something that I like to know for myself, just to see what what influence other people. Yeah. Well, way back when, you know, I can remember like this, and and this will give you your listeners an idea of like how you follow these little sparks. So many, many years ago, I'm in my early 20s on a subway in New York City, and there was a gentleman sitting across from me, and he had this old weathered journal. And he unwrapped this leather thing and he wrote for a couple of stops and then he wrapped it up and he put it in his bag and he got off the train. And I was so fascinated because at that point in my life, I couldn't imagine what would it be like to be able to just put your thoughts on paper like that. Like I was, I was just so amazed. And I, I went uh, that lunchtime and I bought myself a, a notebook and I found this book back in the day. It was written by a woman who was a Buddhist practitioner it was called Writing Down the Bones. And it was about trying to figure out how to write these little vignettes, how to get that pen moving. Her name was Natalie Goldberg. And so that led me to keeping that notebook all those years, as, as I had mentioned, and then all those years later going to the writing retreat and then saying, okay, you've been doing this for all this time. Can you really put a book together? And so this book came out of uh, some journals that I kept on that Alaska trip um, that told the story of that trip. But I wasn't, I wasn't a very seasoned writer at that time. I was a journaler, uh, but not quite a writer. So while I did that and I went through three iterations of that memoir, um, I knew that the book was at, you know, was going to come from another trip. I didn't know when, and it just kind of sparked this weekend. So I don't know if I answered your question, but I would just encourage people, like when you find those little things, like those moments that intrigue you, you know, that guy had no idea that he set my life off on a completely different course from where it was going. I was the person across from him in a suit and, you know, holding a briefcase, like worlds apart. And there was that inspiration. So where you find those little sparks of inspiration, like follow those. Yeah, no, you did. You did answer my question. Not to worry, because you you told me about that uh, book, writing writing down writing the bones. down the bones. Yeah, yeah. that's a so, old. 
I was gonna say, have you have you read a lot of self help books then, or is that kind of just like you read that one, then you kind of went on your own journey? Because I feel like a lot of people when they first start reading, they get really lost in the self help kind of section, which might not really be for them. Yeah, I go through I go through spurt. most of my most of the reading I do. I always have several books going. Mm. Uh, most of the reading that I do is nonfiction. Um, I think for quote unquote self-help, like the regular formulaic self-help books, they, they, it feels like a formula. So that's not as, as intriguing to me. I have a ton of books on writing all different kinds of writing. I'm fascinated by it. Um, I love anything that has to do with creativity. Liz Gilbert wrote a great book called big magic, um, that a couple of years back that I just, that I just love, but it's just like this source of creativity. I love reading books about artists, um, you know, or, or seeing things about artists. There was just a couple of great, um, clips on, a, a visual artist called Mark Bradford that I loved and a, and a, an artist named Laurie Anderson, who just had this big exhibition down in Washington, DC, and just seeing how these people see the world that's what's fascinating to me. Um, or visual artists, there's a gentleman named Andy Goldworthy um, who does things. It's all in nature. So all of these different things, I just feel like it just all feeds the, it goes in this big funnel at the top of my head and it comes out in some way. But it's like, I love people who are intrigued and fascinated and curious about the world around them. And while some of it comes out in ways to, help the world get better, which we all should be doing. It's not mired down in a lot of the, the, um, the heaviness of what's going on. It's more in the problem solving and what we might be able to do and how we might be able to show people a different way and a way that comes from their inner knowing, not somebody else's opinion. Hmm. And Kathy, you seem to have all this knowledge, all this kind of life journeys lived, you know, corporate life, now Athena wellness and all this kind of stuff. But what I want to know is, what is it about what you currently do or what you've done that brings you the most joy? Mm. I think it's when you see that aha, when 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 somebody comes to the realization of, what they've been searching for their entire life is not out there. It's actually been inside that whole time. And especially for those, like I work with a lot of people who have been really burnt out and disconnected from that voice. And when, when they realize that that little flame is still there, you know, that little ember is still there and we can breathe some oxygen, we can get some oxygen to it so it can start to catch fire again. Seeing that, I think, really brings me a lot of joy and uh, makes me incredibly grateful, not only for the life that I've had, but for the work that I get to do and for what's to come. You know, this is only, I see this as a bridge, like this is going somewhere. Where? I don't know. But that's part of the excitement. And I think that, um, I think that we're all, like, I just... I envision this like this set of prayer flags that are out there, like something's going out into the ethers, like something is going out to the world. And, uh, and the more we can do that collectively, including what you do, Sam, which is so important in this time and in our evolution here, the more we can do that together, I think the better place we'll be creating for ourselves and for those who come after us. Where can the people find you online? Very simple. 
uh, athenawellness.com. There they can take a, my courses are on there. The book is on there. I got a ton of free resources, blog, podcast, media interviews. It's all there. You can drop me a line. There's a contact form and you can sign up for my newsletter. I email my list twice a month. Thank you for listening to People Explained. New episodes come out every Monday. We would appreciate it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and shared this episode with a friend. 